I like what would you do scenarios because they're real world and they make you think. So what would you do in this clinical scenario? You're the on-call provider in labor and delivery and a patient comes up to the unit grossly ruptured at 30 weeks gestation. She has maternal temperature, eater and tenderness, and the amniotic fluid is foul-smelling and slightly purulent. So you make the diagnosis of clinical chorioamnionitis. The baby's in a head-down position, there's no maternal evidence of sepsis, and the baby's heart tracing is non-tachycardic. Because the baby is head down, you make the decision to proceed with an induction of labor, which is the correct thing to do. Now your faculty or your coworker comes up to you and says, great, we'll get her delivered and start antibiotics. Now, do you want to give her antenatal corticosteroids? So what would you do? Would you give this patient who's clearly under 34 weeks steroids for fetal lung maturation in the presence of maternal chorioamnionitis? Is it harmful to do so or does the evidence suggest that we can do that? Well, in this podcast, we're going to review a December 2020 expert review from the Gray Journal. That's the American Journal of OBGYN, which is called Management of Clinical Chorioamnitis, an Evidence-Based Approach. Because historically, we would not give these patients steroids, but the evidence says we probably should. So let's cover that now. What to call maternal temperature elevation intrapartum has gone through a variety of iterations and evolutions. I learned to call it chorioamnionitis, but the truth is that's a histological term made at pathological review of the placenta. So most favor the term clinical choreo. Of course, then there was IAI, which is intramniotic infection, and then some suggested the triple I, which is intrauterine inflammation or infection. But in this podcast, and as most experts agree, probably the most accurate is just to call it clinical chorioamnionitis. Clinical chorio has been traditionally diagnosed by the presence of maternal fever, which is a temperature greater than or equal to 38 degrees Celsius, plus two or more of the five following clinical signs. Maternal tachycardia with a heart rate greater than 100, fetal tachycardia with a fetal heart rate greater than 160, uterine tenderness, purulent or foul-smelling amniotic fluid or vaginal discharge, and maternal leukocytosis, which has been called a maternal white blood cell count greater than 15,000. The problem, though, in the reality is that the diagnostic accuracy of these criteria to identify patients with proven intra-amniotic infection is only about 50%. Despite these challenges with diagnostic accuracy, remember, you want to make this diagnosis pretty quick because clinical choreo is not benign. Clinical choreo is the most common infection-related complication in LND units worldwide. This syndrome is a well-known risk factor for adverse maternal and fetal outcomes. On the maternal side, this is linked to postpartum hemorrhage, secondary to uterine atony. It's been linked to uterine rupture, unplanned hysterectomy, the use of blood transfusion, and wound infection. It's even been linked, of course, to endometritis, pelvic abscess, and septic pelvic thrombophobitis. On the neonatal side, neonates born to mothers diagnosed as having clinical choreo are at a higher risk of having low APGAR scores, neonatal seizures, neonatal admissions to the ICU, bronchopulmonary dysplasia, and even intraventricular hemorrhage. Unfortunately, they're also at risk of periventricular leukomalacia and use of mechanical ventilation. 
All right, podcast family, time for our first clinical pearl. So if you're ever asked, well, isn't just choreo just a maternal fever issue? No, it's linked to some real adverse issues, both on the maternal side and the fetal side. And also remember that the intra-amniotic infection and inflammatory state that can pass through the child is also an independent risk factor for the development of cerebral palsy. So this is an issue that we can't just attribute to just a temperature elevation. This has real complications. So we have to be conservative and be quick to diagnose this and give the mainstay treatment, which of course is antibiotics. Now, here's some reassurance regarding cerebral palsy and clinical choreo. Evidence regarding the association between clinical choreo and the risk of CP and long-term adverse neurodevelopmental outcomes is somewhat conflicting, with some studies reporting that positive association, whereas others thankfully did not. All right, fine. That's all the forefront. That's all the foundation stuff because we want to get to answer this question. Should we give patients with clinical choreo steroids or not? Now, the use of antenatal corticosteroids among women with clinical choreo had traditionally remained controversial given the immunosuppressive effects of the medication, which theoretically could exacerbate systemic infection or activate latent infections in the mother or increase the risk of neonatal infection. Some clinical guidelines actually advise against the use of steroids for fetal lung maturation in patients with clinical choreo, while others advise use in caution, and one actually openly recommends its use for those patients. This is why it's important to discuss this December 2020 brand new data out of the expert review series, because we need to catch up and stay current on this ever-evolving information. And again, it will actually surprise you with what these authors found based on their review. All right, now we're about to get into this information, but before we do, here's a big disclosure. To date, there are no published randomized controlled trials evaluating the efficacy and safety of corticosteroids in women with clinical choreo, so that's important to remember. And there's also another caveat that remember with the ALPS trial, that's the antepartum late preterm steroid study that gave the allowance for steroids to be given between 34 and 36 weeks and six days. It is okay to give steroids in that late preterm interval if we know that the patients are going to deliver preterm. Remember, of course, and I've talked about this in other podcasts, that that's also a little controversial because of the issue of the potential for altered neurodevelopment if they receive steroids in that late preterm period, but then actually go on to deliver at term. But here's how this relates to what we're talking about here. ACOG does make the distinction that if you're going to give steroids in the late preterm interval between 34 and 36 weeks and 6 days, it should be excluded from patients who have clinical choreo in that group. So let's be very clear. The issue of choreo and steroids does not apply to patients in the late preterm interval where ACOG states that steroids should not be given between 34 and 36 weeks and 6 days in patients with clinical choreo concern. All right, here's what these authors found based on their expert review. Compared to infants born to mothers with histological choreo who did not receive steroids, infants born to mothers with histological choreo who received any corticosteroid that's at least one dose, had a significantly lower risk of neonatal morbidity and mortality. Importantly, 
antenatal corticosteroid administration significantly decreased the risk of neonatal sepsis. Now, isn't that interesting? Among infants born to mothers with clinical choreo, antenatal corticosteroid administration was associated with a significant reduction in the risk of any intraventricular hemorrhage, as well as a reduction in risk in periventricular leukomalacia. Again, so that's reassuring and really good news. There was also no significant difference between the steroid and non-steroid groups in other adverse neonatal outcomes or in neurodevelopmental outcome endpoints. Again, very reassuring. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you listen to my podcast, you're thinking, wait, did we cover this already? Well, we actually covered something very similar to this in a previous podcast. But again, look how fast the information piles up because that used a different source. And now we're at December 2020, again, from the Gray Journal, restating what we talked about months before in another podcast that in a certain subgroup of patients, we're going to get into that in a minute, steroids for fetal lung maturity in patients with clinical choreo seem to be beneficial. Now, let's redirect here for just a minute. Now, we've been talking about patients with established clinical choreo, but one of the concerns, one of the rebuttals about giving steroids to women with preterm pre-labor rupture of membranes is that giving them an immunosuppressant drug will somehow unmask choreo or push them over to develop infection. But that's not what the data shows. In a Cochrane review, anti-neocorticosteroid administration to women with preterm pre-labor rupture of membranes significantly decreased the risk of neonatal death, respiratory distress syndrome, IVH, with no evidence of an effect on the risk of clinical chorioamnionitis, endometritis, or even postpartum sepsis. Get ready, because here's the next clinical pearl, because here's going to be your biggest obstacle or rebuttal from people. When you bring up the issue of steroids in a patient who has clinical choreo, because you're doing an induction of labor, they usually say, but wait a minute, we're not going to get 48 hours of benefit, so there's no point in give it because they're not going to have enough time for the medication to work. Well, that also is not true. This is probably the best clinical pearl of this December 2020 expert review because it actually shows a decrease in fetal or newborn morbidity even before 12 hours from steroid administration. So let's go over this time to beneficial effect next. Considering that most patients with clinical choreo are expected to deliver within 12 hours of diagnosis, most will receive only one dose of antenatal corticosteroids. Nonetheless, there is evidence from observational studies showing that infants exposed to an incomplete course of steroids had a significantly lower risk of death or other adverse neonatal or neurodevelopmental outcome than infants who were not exposed at all. In addition, a subgroup analysis of the Cochrane Review showed that antenatal corticosteroid administration reduces the risk of neonatal death in infants who are born less than 24 hours after the first dose had been administered. Noticeably, the authors of a recent population-based prospective cohort study reported that if patients received steroids at least three hours before delivery, there was a 26% decrease in neonatal mortality. Did y'all get that? That's a big clinical pearl. Even if it was done less than three hours, there seemed to be some decrease in morbidity. If they received steroids three to five hours before delivery, then that went from a 26% decrease in neonatal morbidity to a 37% decrease in neonatal morbidity. 
and if patients received steroids from 6 to 12 hours before delivery, then there was a 51% decrease in neonatal mortality. So again, ideally, for sure, let's get 12 or 24 or 48 hours, but in this setting with clinical choreo, even if they received at least 3 hours steroid exposure, then in that group they had a 26% decrease in neonatal mortality, and that's pretty significant. And we're at a wrap. So in summary, current available evidence suggests that the administration of at least one single dose of steroids to patients with clinical choreo has an overall beneficial effect on the neonate without increasing the risk of sepsis or other adverse neonatal outcomes. So it appears reasonable to administer steroids to women with clinical choreo between 24 and 33 weeks and 6 days and to consider its administration to those with a gestational age between 23 weeks and 0 days and 23 weeks and 6 days. Delivery should not be delayed to complete the full course of antinocorticosteroids. Now, in some patients in that specific gestational time frame who are really sick or, and, and or have evidence of systemic sepsis, then it's harder to make that judgment call. But again, even based on the internal medicine side, patients with systemic sepsis can be given steroids and they don't have a deterioration in their status. So in general steroids with clinical choreo, stable patients seems to be fine. But choreo with maternal sepsis and decompensation, that may be less clear and requires patient individualization or decision by a case-by-case basis. Well, thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.